you're supposed to find the scriptures that had to do with your problem, memorize them, and and change. But I just observed a lot of people that were good people that were having trouble changing, and I was having trouble changing. Welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthart, and at Wellspring, our unique calling and mission is to help leaders, pastors, ministry leaders, nonprofit, and others pay attention to their inner life, that part of us that is so essential but most easily neglected, talking about your soul, that guides and shapes your interactions with others, your own perceptions of yourself and of God. So essential. And we do this by having conversations in this podcast with leaders, authors, and others that we learn from their own journey and what they are discovering as they journey with God and in leadership. Today's conversation will be helpful in unique ways because today we're talking to Patty and F. Martin. Patty and F. were instrumental in the launching of Wellspring many years ago, but they don't come at it from a pastor perspective. Although Patty is a trained spiritual director, and they both both have been active in the church for many years. But they each bring unique experience and perspective from both the business and marketplace, as well as the lay leadership kind of person in the church. And they've both been shaped by significant uh, thought leaders, as you'll hear about Dallas Willard and his impact on their lives. So enjoy and learn from, I hope, the conversation we have today with Patty and F. Martin. Well, Patty and F., thank you so much for taking time to sit down with us today and chat a little bit. And so I wanted to just start with um, with each of you. Could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, uh, your family, even spiritual background? Well, I uh, was born into a Catholic, Irish Catholic family and um very strong dedication to the church, went to Catholic schools all through even high school. Um, the church experience I had was that uh, we needed to feel guilty about our sins, and there were a lot of rules. Um, they were based a lot on priests and nuns more than on obedience to God. Mm-hmm. And there was a very strong institutional church powerfulness in the Catholic Church at that time. Did you feel drawn to God, or was God kind of big and scary, kind of like the nuns and priests? Both. Mm. I, I was drawn toward the holiness part. Mm. I loved the, the bells and smells of the Mass and sort of the idea of, kind of a romantic idea of um, God. So it wasn't until college that I was fortunate enough to meet a group of um, students in a student um, organization that was having Bible study, uh, presenting the gospel in an evangelical way and understanding um, that I could learn from the Bible how to live a better life and um, be a disciple. Hmm. So this the kind of first big transfer 
transformative period sounds like was was college for you through a through a college ministry right wow right. and how about you f did you grow up uh, around faith in a different way or well i grew up in oklahoma a very strong family with uh, okay. uh, great family values and uh, strong moral convictions when i was in ninth grade our basketball coach uh, was uh, a former all-american basketball player and a methodist pastor he took me to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes conference in Estes Park, Colorado. And I uh, just saw something there that the, the people had a, a joy and a relationship with God that I didn't have. And so I accepted the Lord there. Uh, when I went to Rice University and I met a man, uh, actually when I had a summer job in Fort Worth, who uh, was very formative in my, my thinking and, and, and teaching me about leadership. And then I came out to Stanford Business School and uh, came under the influence of Peninsula Bible Church in the same time that Patty was there. And uh, that's where I really started to get much more serious about the scriptures and my Christian faith. Okay. Well, so then how did you guys meet? Well, we met um, actually uh, when I was getting involved with the college class at Stanford. Patty was doing an internship. And so we had high, with high schoolers, and so we didn't actually meet each other for the first uh, two to three years. Uh, but after I had graduated from Stanford Business School and started working, I joined uh, the career class at Peninsula Bible Church and was part of the sort of renaissance of that class uh, when Ron Ritchie came. And Patty uh, had finished her internship and was working, and when uh, she got back from a trip, she came to the uh, career class. And by the grace of God, came to sit at my table. And so we met, and I wasn't about to let her get away. <laughs> so now, Patty, for you, there you had gotten involved in this campus ministry. And um, what, and I'll ask you each in turn, when we start talking about things like spiritual formation, and of course, you know, a while back, that was even a, sometimes that even that term wasn't used, or if it was used, it sometimes carried unknown connotations and all that but what would you say to introduce you to however you would describe it would you you know discipleship or formation what what drew you in that direction it was a a gradual um, journey also our more bible teaching um, culture was a little bit um, suspicious of psychology Mm -hmm. Because you were just supposed to memorize scriptures, you're supposed to find the scriptures that had to do with your problem, memorize them, and and change. But I just observed yeah. a lot of people that were good people that were having trouble changing, and I was having trouble changing. Mm-hmm. So, I think um, then my years of graduate school and learning about behavior helped me understand more about the dynamics of change, and reading the more emerging um, good Christian um, literature on psychology made me want to go deeper and so i met actually patty pierce and through knowing her and some other women leaders um, there emerged just at the same time for a lot of us a desire to understand contemplative practices to understand um, more about the kind of discipleship that's not just in your head but it's in your heart i hear and i hear this theme a lot 
and I've experienced it myself, is just this hunger for more. There was like, there's got to be more, not not just more knowledge or more information, but there's there's got to be more actual transformation. I mean, I'm I'm a I even almost like the more we know, the more we know and know ourselves, we realize that okay, I'm not changing in the way that I believe is possible, and I'm not sure I'm seeing it either. And then, but then I hear is that hunger in you kind of was growing there was also then god kind of started leading you to to some people that were maybe had similar kinds of hungers and desires and that that kind of community supported one another it sounds like right yeah that was the beginning of women at the well that later became Mm. wellspring and it was a group of of women that really wanted to experiment with the idea of having retreats and having deeper prayer and developing also the um, idea of spiritual disciplines mm-hmm. in a positive sense that they're practices that can give you a practical way of changing your habits. And I understood definitely from psychology that that um, change required behavioral um, actions of some kind, but not in a legalistic way, but as a desire to substitute old bad habits with new good habits yeah and so richard foster had written celebration of discipline mm-hmm. uh, was one of the earliest books that exposed me to the idea of these spiritual practices but later dallas willard many other writers and um i became familiar with renovari as an organization and actually the group of leaders that were women at the well would go to their their conferences about once a year and so we got to hear some of the the strongest and most wonderful teachers and writers about spiritual formation in yeah years. and i'm curious as as you, this is emerging if you, you know in you and in this group and you're also in these contexts like you said uh, i too experienced in those uh, a number of years ago in churches i i was on staff at a church and i was the first ever spiritual formation pastor at that church and a lot of people didn't even know what that term meant and it was very even troubling i got a lot of is this new agey is this uh some are we are do we still believe the bible you know all kinds of of that were you getting some of that pushback as you uh, you said initially but then even in was that still happening as your as this group is coming together yes um we had transitioned as a family to from the bible based church to Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, and there was more openness there, although there was a little bit, uh, the the pastor at that time didn't um, quite understand that Catholicism was, could be positive. And so to him, it smacked a bit of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And um, that fact that a bunch of women were doing this was not exactly embraced by the male staff leaders. Um, I don't, I think they just didn't quite understand. And in time that changed a lot, Mm. but yes, there was some pushback definitely about, you know, using that word new agey or the the idea of that meditation was Eastern when it was contemplative, you know, Bible based meditation is so Christian. Right. And, uh, and Christianity itself is, actually Eastern in its origin, but you know, we don't always talk about that, but, um, 
for you, F, as, as you're seeing this happen with Patty, or I, I'm curious about your what's happening in your own journey in, in those years. Well, uh, initially, um, I saw this as Patty's just small group learning with women, and she took uh, some uh, spiritual formation classes, met Richard Foster, uh, and was doing some things. But uh, what happened was I was involved in a leadership position at uh, our church and uh, a during a uh, leadership transition there was uh, a lot of uh, controversy that arose and um, I was um, as, as part of the uh, leading the, the group that was overseeing it uh, drew a great deal of uh, criticism and ire from people uh, I realized that that those people were uh, acting extremely badly, but I learned that there was definitely something wrong with them, but there's also something wrong with me. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I have to say, I, I realized that anger is not a, a fruit of the spirit. And it's so, not. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I I uh, found that I had been robbed of the joy of my faith, um, mm. and so I was talking to Patty about that. And she suggested that I read a book that she had come across, Streams of Living Water by Richard Foster. And um, I loved that book because in it, Richard lays out a kind of a comprehensive vision of, of spiritual formation and of Christian growth. And he also does so um, with historical uh, stories and, and references. Um, and I love history. And... Uh, there were so many things and people that he talked about, especially you know, from the uh, earlier Catholic faith that I uh, just had no knowledge of. And all of a sudden, I got very excited. I, I was born in uh, St. Anthony Hospital, uh, but I'd never heard who St. Anthony was. And so uh, I just totally fell under uh, the spell there. And, and my, my uh, world just expanded enormously to be able to um, read and learn about this from Richard. And then uh, through Richard uh, and John Ortberg, I was introduced to Dallas. And of course, that's transformative for anybody. And that was the beginning of my journey into spiritual formation, which had really revolutionized my, my Christian walk. I know you, you, you both have had a, a special relationship with Dallas. And of course, on our podcast a couple episodes ago, we, thanks to your connection, we actually uh, got to interview Gary Moon and who wrote Dallas's biography. And, and I just, uh, if, if you wouldn't mind taking just a couple of minutes to talk about what, what was, what was your connection to Dallas like, just even personally? How, how uh, maybe a little bit of his impact on your lives, if that's okay. Well, I first heard Dallas as keynote speaker at some of the Renovari conferences and just took tons of notes and um, it just admires his brilliance, um, his dedication to the word. He just loved the word. Um, would happen to be walking next to him and he'd be hem, uh, humming hymns. Um, he, he was very, very traditional 
and yet his concept, particularly of the kingdom of heaven being our life here and now, the beginning of our experience in the kingdom is being in the present moment now. Um, so those concepts were so beautiful and he was so brilliant, but he also, as I got to be in more situations with him later, um, we were in the first class of what's called the Renovari Institute, which is a two-year, um, more intensive spiritual formation program. We had him, we were on retreats with him. So we were eating with him. We were just hanging with him. And I just, uh, saw what a gentle, and kind person he was. Uh, he's one of the smartest people I've ever been around, and he could have been arrogant about that, but he was always very humble, would talk to you about any subject. I mean, you could just ask him any question about any subject, and he would, you know, pause, and then he would start talking about it like he could write a book on it. <laughs> but he was never... Um, demeaning to anybody who had dumb questions or um it just was a beautiful soul mm. and so just to, what a privilege to know through his of course his writing and his speaking to learn so much and so many great concepts about spiritual formation but also to see somebody that embodied um just a christ-like character isn't that so much, I, I, and I th I've heard that so often, we've heard both examples of people that are, are brilliant and may know scripture or, or be, you know, full of knowledge and yet are not transformed into a more loving people, and yet how remarkable uh, someone like a Dallas if, is and how inviting that is uh, to see not just that someone can know a lot, but there is that interchange, that, that inner uh, transformation. How about you, F2? You uh, got to know Dallas as well. Well, for me, uh, Dallas revolutionized my life with his with his teaching as well, and specifically uh, the, the his view of the present availability of the kingdom of God. When he described it as basically the gospel, and I began to understand it, it, it just opened my eyes. And uh, um, I just saw my my relationship with God in an entirely new way. He was as close to having no ego as any of us can get to. And I always said that the reason that I really believed what Dallas taught was because it worked in his life. And if believing this would make me like Dallas, well, I'm all in. And so he just was... The living testimony of a, a person transformed by Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's it's so beautiful. You know, people talk about sometimes don't meet your heroes. Like you could read a book by somebody and then you meet them and you can be disappointed. And I've never heard anybody say anything but the the opposite of that with like a Dallas or a Eugene Peterson or some of those unique and uh, gifts to to all of us. Um. Patty, I wanted to shift a little bit over here to uh, you. I know you've been trained as a spiritual director, which uh, I think is is somewhat in interesting, given that you grew up in the Catholic Church and spiritual direction really had its origin in the Catholic Church, and yet what became lost to, frankly, the Protestant world for 
centuries <laughs> and and now is kind of being rediscovered again but in case you're listening and don't know exactly what spiritual direction is or it's a new term to you it it can be misleading in that the spiritual director is actually, it sounds like someone's telling somebody else what to do, and that's really not what it is. Actually, Jesus is ultimately our spiritual director and guide, but it's being with another person in a way that's allowing them to share what is happening in their own life, and the director is there to accompany them spiritually, paying attention to where God seems to be at work and inviting them to to just notice and see what God is up to and uh, just two people together. And yet it has a lot of, there is that overlap, if you will, with counseling, entering into, entering into someone's sacred story, entering into to the deeper places in someone's life. What, what, have you, um, what have you most appreciated about your practice as a spiritual director? I've really enjoyed the stories of all the individuals that I've had the privilege of hearing from um, knowing how God's working and he always is even when somebody feels stuck um, or feel like feels like their prayer is dry um, as we as as someone is able to articulate where God might be working something always emerges so it's very creative because you may start with a plan or a theme and it can change into something else um, so uh, pretty much everyone that's come for spiritual direction wants to, to grow, wants to draw closer to God, and wants to be transformed in some way. And I really admire that dedication to do that, um, to take the time you know, once a month and go, even though it's just an hour, but to be vulnerable and to open up to the work that God is doing and the desires to grow. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just been always a blessing for me, uh, and I I learn a lot from others mm-hmm. um, just hearing from them. And just as a as an aside here as well, if you're listening to this and you're interested in spiritual direction or or uh, connecting to a spiritual director, uh, feel free to check out our website at Wellspring, and we can help connect you um, and or at least talk to you more about it. So just want to let you know about that. So, F, as you've worked uh, in the business world, and that's been uh, your vocation, how have you seen this uh, integration of, and I'll just kind of as a parenthesis say, my observation and experience in the church is we often seem to not know what to do with or how to help people integrate their life with God with what they do for a vocation if it's not specifically ministry. If you're actually, you know, out in the corporate world or wherever you are, that to integrate your your life with God with your life at work, um, how how have you navigated that? Well, my observation would be that most people uh, live their life in silos in the business world. That there's the, their business life, their spiritual life, their family life, their social life. And uh, I certainly was that way. Uh, not that there's no connection, but it, it is sort of a loosely affiliated confederation. Um, hmm. And, you know, I've come to understand that I needed to see business as a, uh, just one of the things I did during my day that was part of my life with God. 
And uh, I don't think that we actually teach that vision to begin with. And it all goes back to having to see this, uh, what, what, it, what does it mean to live currently in the kingdom of God? And so I see it as part of the overall uh, teaching of spiritual formation and the understanding what God wants out of us. And, uh, you know, Dallas taught a lot about the role of uh, business and uh, had a very high view of it. Uh, but he also saw that our purpose as uh, individuals was to serve God and to help other people. Uh, now that didn't mean that we couldn't earn a good living and, and succeed in business and that businesses couldn't have profits because they need profits to uh, be sustained and to go forward. But it was within the context of, of living um, the with God life, living uh, the imagio dei, um, the image of Christ. And uh, I just didn't see that, uh, at least in its uh, enormity and fullness, uh, until you know, later in my business career. But you know, I'm sad I didn't see it earlier, but I'm really grateful I saw it sometimes. So. Yeah, yeah. You're right, because there's more to the, than just saying, well, okay, then being a Christian means I, I don't lie or cheat. Okay, but, you know, hopefully that's a good start. But 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 more, I love what you said. It's saying what I do at work is just part of my overall life with God, and that, that is included within that. So as you, as you began to walk into that more in your vocation and in your life, um, how did you see that? shaping or reshaping how you went about what you did what how did it impact that actually one of the the joys of my life are, are mentoring young people i have a, uh, a a devotional i call it a devotional group that where we study spiritual formation and read a lot of the spiritual classics and discuss them and uh, so there's about 20 guys that meet on a weekly basis and then i spend time one-on-one -on -one with many of them and I've also joined with one of my friends um, to help start a, uh, an organization called the Center for Conscientious Leadership. And it is uh, a bit more secular in its outreach. The devotional group is for people who are really serious about going deeper. The other uh, touches uh, people who are interested in, in uh, living a better life and have a lot of talent and a lot of desire to be better people. But... Only a few of them are uh, are or oriented toward God, but uh, it's been wonderful though because uh, everybody has a need for God, and so I've, so many opportunities have just uh, come up there to to share with people, and and now uh, I'm soon to be starting a kind of a devotional group for uh, those who are interested out of this conscientious leadership group. Most actually, most of my day has to do with um, being involved in in some of these activities for these these areas. I love that. It just sounds so just this integration of uh, of of life as opposed to, like you said, siloing. Um, I'm curious as to throw put you on the spot here a moment, but as you see the, these emerging generations, because you've you know seen people come and go and 
what do you see as the I don't know the, the greatest needs of 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 emerging generations in terms of their own character uh, in uh, development? Well, I think it's actually the same that has been true for every generation, hmm. um, which is the uh, the need to have a basis upon which character development uh, can be founded. And one of the issues they have, though, is, is that there's no general moral structure in place as there was when I grew up uh, in the post-World War II era, where uh, there was a general affirmation around, uh, around morality. That having been said, uh, you know, a lot of it was uh, hypocritical and self-righteous, and that was part of the way we got to where we are today. Uh, the level of biblical knowledge is quite low today, I think lower than it, it, it has been in the past. But as I said earlier, you know, there, Pascal, one of my favorite um, uh, quotes is, there is inside all of us a God-shaped void that only the God who put it there can fill. And uh, so I just think that we need to uh, teach character uh, by showing people who Jesus was, but the real Jesus, not a, a condemning, uh, unloving Jesus, but a Jesus who was the champion of the downtrodden and who loved sinners and, and uh, you know, was forgiving and understanding and uh, whose harshest word were reserved for the self-righteous. Yeah. And so, um, but I, it's interesting. We're taught that we're in a, you know, very secular uh, society. And I think overall that's true. But I just see so many people hungering and, and desperate to know the real Jesus. Um, and... And so I, that and I take great, great uh, uh, hope from that. Mm. That's so good. I, I think that's that, that. I just am struck by so many things. But uh, you know, Dallas talked a lot about the need for a, a, a foundation for ethics, and he talks. I think at the beginning of uh, Divine Conspiracy, that was a he just and spent a lot of his, I think, even academic career on that that reality that we're. We don't seem to have a basis on which to, you know, uh, philosophically anchor uh, a moral life and what or what is a moral life. But, but I I think so much too what you just said about um, about introducing people to the Jesus, or, or maybe for some reintroducing them to a God who actually um, actually likes them and is interested in them. I think that's so important. Thank you. speak to your younger self let's say uh, a 25 year old you or something or 30 year old you what what would you want to say to that that ver earlier version of you and um if we could start with you patty i think i would have liked to understand my own personality better um have, have, I wish I had had tools like the Enneagram to learn more because I was a perfectionist 
And that particular type of personality, um, the, the positive is there's a, there's a draw, drawing towards goodness, beauty, um, something better. But we also get, um, sidetracked by comparing ourselves to others. And I wanted to be the best mom, the, have the most beautiful house or whatever. So in those years of when you're building a family and acquiring more, um, to hold on to the goal of you're building a home, not necessarily a beautiful house. And you are wanting your children to be the best people they can be, not just look good on the outside. Yeah. That sounds, I hear a sense of, um, of one, maybe somebody needs to hear that permission to, it's okay to let things be a little messy, uh, to, and, and I think I hear more, even more deeply the, to notice that inner critic and, and maybe, um, give it less space, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's, that's great. How about you, F? What would you want to say to that younger you? When I was uh, 25 to 30, I was very involved in uh, uh, good Christian ministry. I was learning to study the Bible, uh, and that was good. Uh, But uh, I think deep inside, I still felt uh, that my value came from uh, achievement. Uh, whether it was in business, whether it was financially, whether it was in ministry. And I just said, you know, and it's still hard for me to get over that uh, I have to earn uh, my value in life. And I didn't understand then, as, as to the extent I do now, and I wish I understood it even better now, that uh, my value is being the beloved of God, uh, not what I do uh, and not what I achieve. And so if I could have understood that uh, to a greater extent, that would have been, would have made life a lot easier. I would have made better choices in life. Um, And then the second thing is, um, I really wish that I had understood uh, the process of spiritual formation and in specifically the, uh, the, the role of the, uh, contemplative and emotional uh, side of life uh, it came from a very rational background. I was an engineer, as Patty referenced earlier, you know, the contemplative, mystical side of Christianity was deeply distrusted. And uh, But I've come to understand that we not only have to uh, experience God with our, with our brain, but we've got to also experience Him in our soul. And so... Uh, uh, I've only learned in the last 20 years or so about about the value of silence and solitude and meditation. And, um, I really love Christian music, which has been a phenomenal part of my, my growth in these last years. I love that. I love that. And I love with both of you, what I hear too is a, a paying attention to the senses, whether it's music or beauty, um, sitting in your backyard right now surrounded by physical beauty and just that 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 sometimes that's been either downplayed or dismissed maybe even in in different circles and just that 
that's a part of the way that we our, our souls connect with God. I, I love that. So thanks for that encouragement. Um, I do have one one last question for you both, and and that is that you know without getting into the whole story, I think it's probably fair to say that Wellspring, as it is now, might not exist if it wasn't for for you both. In in a lot of ways, even I uh, Patty talks often. Of Patty Patty Pierce speaks of a a conversation with you where she's you asked her something like, well, what would you want to do? And she just right away answered, I want to serve pastors, and that's kind of how. Wellspring Soul Care, as it is uh, now, really got birth. And so, um, one, I'm as as someone who's now on on the team, I'm incredibly grateful for for you both. But but I'm I'm curious, what has what what drew you both to um, resonate? I guess I would say with this ministry and um, and be connected and involved uh, in ways that many people may not know or see. Uh, some many of which are behind the scenes, but you've been so integral so yeah what what has drawn you to what wellspring and soul care is about well as i mentioned back in the early days it was women at the well and i think um patty pierce and others and a lot of uh women contributing the ideas and reading the books about the practices and and making a space um, in the retreat format and then getting to go on a lot of retreats and got to co-lead some retreats. So I think making that a reality, uh, I saw, you, you can tell people about it, but to give them a place and to give them the experiential part that's been well thought out with a good theme that makes sense. Because um, I remember going on a retreat when I, I was in high school through the Catholic Church where you went to a retreat center and you were just supposed to have silence and you met with, I guess it it would have been called a spiritual director just to talk about your faith. But there was no uh, leading, guiding. So I really saw that it worked. Just time after time again, um, individuals came away with having met God in many, many different ways. So as we go through the years, and it was actually because some pastor's wives came to our uh, Women at the Well retreats and said, you know, my husband so needs this. And there's not really safety within a pastoral staff to, to share your deepest needs. Um, there, w- there weren't spiritual directors so much then. So in time, to be able to uh, make make Women at the Well co-ed, changed the name to Wellspring to have some different retreats and for some, then some of the pastors to say, um, this, there is a crying need for this. And so we were fortunate enough to, to be involved at that time and say, yeah, um, we know that there's a lot of burnout from pastors. Um, there's just, there's not <clears throat> an emphasis in their staff or or their leaders to take care of their own souls. It's more you've got to produce within the organization. And so we just encouraged Patty and later Terry and others to think about what it would look like to have this kind of a retreat format. And we had also, the leaders um, had gone through the 
30-week Ignatian practices together. And so we, um, we love that. And I also was able to get trained in presenting the Ignatian exercises to others. And so that became, it just eventually became something that had the kinds of themes that would be wonderful for this nine-month cohort of pastors where they would be walking through the important spiritual formation themes for themselves. They'd be in a safe place. They would get a spiritual director once a month, um, the same person every month, to really know them and, and listen to their heart. And it just we just wanted to support it because it, it totally made sense, and it was very, very effective. Mm. That's great. Second, all of that, it's just so clear that the need is uh, just almost overwhelming. Uh, being a pastor is such a difficult job. Uh, greatly underappreciated often, certainly underpaid. Uh, but just the emotional burdens that pastors have to carry is incredible. And somebody needs to care for them. So it made a lot of sense to us. The other thing I'd mention is that we really believed in Patty. And uh, I spent a lot of time uh, working with young companies in Silicon Valley. And one thing I learned when, when fantastic people have their heart set on something and they're enabled to do it, great things can happen. And so uh, I just uh, thought, you know, how, how, how could this be bad? I mean, this is going to be awesome. And, uh, and, and so Patty's uh, was indeed gifted and called. And uh, she had a support team around her from the previous uh, ministry, but then new people were coming in. And so um, from the very beginning, we saw that uh, this was even greater than we ever imagined. And I, I think that's certainly been borne out by the experience over nearly 15 years almost. So That's right. Yeah. In fact, and... Uh... Some may know this, hearing this, some others not. That over there's been over 300 pastors now that have gone through the soul care, the nine month soul. What has evolved into the nine month soul care uh, cohorts, and and we are now finding ourselves now with you know every year more than twice the amount of people that are needing and wanting this than we can even take, which is uh, both a testimony to both the need and the impact, and so. I just want to express to you on behalf of not only Wellspring, but the literally hundreds of pastors who impact thousands of other people, uh, just gratitude, gratitude for your involvement and believing in what Wellspring is and, and has become and is doing. And so, and thank you for letting us uh, learn today a bit from your own journey and your own uh, wisdom. And just even about just, I love the Im image of just integrating all of life, all of us, uh, for God and learning to live as Dallas would say life in the kingdom of the heavens so uh, thank you thanks for taking the time uh, to be with us today thank you for joining us for today's conversation if you found it helpful feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both its leaders and people in whatever ways we can. 
So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them. Go to our Facebook page. Just search Wellspring on Facebook and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.